Okay, this morning we're going to talk about a good starting place for your life called the fear of the Lord. So, Psalm 34, 11, listen to this. Isn't this beautiful? Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Isn't that quite a sentence to start with? Come, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. So, the fear of the Lord is your starting place. You know how we all say, everybody thinks of this when we say, what's the best verse you can remember or the first verse you remember on the fear of the Lord? And people always say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So if you're developing wisdom in your life, you begin with the fear of the Lord. Now, I thought that was in there one time. I didn't realize the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom is in Proverbs 1-7. That the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Psalm 111.10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. They who live by it grow in understanding. Proverbs 9.10, the first step to wisdom is the fear of the Lord, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So it's in there repetitively that the fear of the Lord is your starting point. So I'm going to say in this journey of what it's going to take to get you through the end times, of what it's going to take to get you through life, what your life looks like with the Lord, it begins with the fear of the Lord. It's your starting point. So for me, it's true. I had to think about it. What really got me moving? What really got me started with the Lord? And it was in vacation Bible school at Melwood Baptist Church. I was in a little class and they read me this verse. And when I heard this verse, I had the fear of the Lord follow me, a holy fear. When I read Matthew 10, 33, but whoever shall deny me before men, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. I was terrified. I knew with the way that my personality was bent, shaped, I was going to for sure be denied because I was completely, completely taken over by shyness, like awkwardness. I couldn't speak. I hated anything to do with talking to anyone. Do you see that there could be something in you that would prevent you from obeying this verse? Mark 8, 38, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And so I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. When he comes back, he's going to be ashamed of me. I'll be just like this adulterous and sinful generation. Luke 9, 26, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So he's going to be ashamed with me with God. He's going to be ashamed when he comes back. And he's going to be ashamed with me in front of the angels. Luke 12, 9. But whoever denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. So now I'm going to be denied before the Father. And I'm going to be denied before the angels. And that voice put a holy terror of fear into my heart. It put the holy fear in me. And I constantly would think of that verse and think of myself. I was comparing myself to that verse. Constantly, the denial verse. Comparing myself to what my life was and what that verse said. And I couldn't make a meet. Now, this is the starting point of your life. When you come up against something and you realize, I'm not doing it. And you say, I can't do it. There's nothing in me that's inclined that way. And you start shrinking back. 
You start stepping back from the verse. You start stepping back from being that Christian. You know, we've talked about being that radical, sold-out Christian you boys envision yourself being. Like, you want to be that bold Christian. When you hear it preached, you feel that. But there's some point in your life where you read something that you shrink back from it. You just said, I can't do that. That's not something I can ever do. There's some verse, there's something out there that has caused you to take some steps back. To tell yourself, I can't go there. Where your mind just said, won't happen. There's no way. That's not me. That's not describing me. That must be describing someone else. You know, it's that Calvinism starting to creep up your soul of going, I'm just not elect in this area. It just doesn't come naturally for me. I'm going to tell you, wake up. It doesn't come natural for anyone. And you're fooling yourself to think that this is a natural inclination. This is something that you have to develop inside of yourself. No one else can do it for you. If you opt to have laziness and not do it, it's an eternal laziness. If you opt to not go here, it's forever going to be on your record. It's something that you never get off your record with the Lord. If you take His Word and you read a verse and you back away from that verse. If you read a verse and say, that's not me, because you're fooling yourself to think that person you see up there doing it did not go through the same process that's being offered to you. It's at this key point, at this trigger point, that you have to make up your mind, I am going forward with the fear of the Lord. Let that fear, that fear of the Lord, the fear of the verse work for you and not against you. So it started with a holy fear inside of me that I believed what he said. I really believed the verse. I believed that he would deny me. I believed that he would be ashamed of me. I believed that my life was not going to be what he wanted it to be. The fear of the Lord will make you believe what he tells you. It'll make you believe the warnings. It'll make you say to yourself, he's not just joking and trying to scare me. Like, you know, sometimes adults do with kids. But you really believe the word of the Lord. It was a holy fear of the Lord, and I realized I was falling short. I was falling so short, I had nothing on record that would make me think that God wasn't going to deny me on that day. And that, my friend, is the beginning of your journey with the fear of the Lord. That you take what God says, and you believe it. You put it into action. There's something to be said for the fear of the Lord, where you really fear Him. And we backed away from teaching it, and guess what? Our culture shows it. <laughs> we backed away from teaching it, and society is prevalent. That nobody really fears the Lord. It's not in the school, it's not in the children, it's not in the families, it's not in the way that we think, it's not in the way how we approach the Bible, is that you don't begin with thinking you're sitting in Daddy's lap and that you're a princess and a king's kid. I mean, where people come up with this, and they have not started with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is your starting point. It's your beginning. You can't jump to something or you're going to miss crucial parts in your development. So, the fear of the Lord, it must have a foundational block in you. 
you need to think right now, do I have any time in my life that I relate to what you're saying? That I had something that I read or I had something I understood about God that I realized I don't have that in my life and I need it. That's your starting point. If you don't have that, you're missing some building blocks in your foundation and you may be hanging on to some promises that you don't meet the qualifications for. You may be believing some things that are there and are real for your life, that are glorious for your future, but you're not going to get them. You're not going to obtain them. You know, it talks about obtaining the promises. You have to obtain the promises of God. Somehow in this culture of realizing it's all about the Lord and He does it for you, but it means you have to get inside of Him where He, where you obtain it. There is an obtaining that I don't think that we're quite getting. So the fear of the Lord is what makes you a true believer. They always say that in politics, the one person they can't budge, they can't move your beliefs, is when it's a person that's a true believer. Like it has something to do with your convictions. It's not an ideology where you could change and lean one way or the other. It's literally something inside of you that's the root of who you are. You know, with parents, don't kid yourself. Isn't this true? With parents, when you're young, a child needs a little bit of fear of you. <laughs> like when there needs to be a little bit of fear that there's a certain boundary that they can't go across. If you don't have that fear worked out in a child and you're screaming at them and you're telling them, stop, and they don't stop, then they've got to obey that because if you see something they don't see coming towards that child and they're not trained to obey that, that ultimate soul-wrenching stop, then you don't have that child where they have fear of you. And there's some times in life that it will save their life that they stop when you tell them to stop. There are cars that will smash them at two and there's cars that will smash them at 22. And they're a different type of car. <laughs> But there's things that will come and can destroy their life. Your child needs to know that there is fear that you have laid down some boundaries that literally, literally, you love them enough to stop them. And if you've never done that, then you're not parenting. You're friendshiping, but you're not parenting. If you don't have your child where they understand this is an absolute stop, you know, you may say, well, my child's not inclined to it. It's kind of the difference between having a cat and a dog. Have you ever told a dog, stop? And a dog will stop. You can have your dog trained, but never has anyone come up with being able to tell a cat that. <laughs> you can tell your dog, stop! <laughs> and your dog will freeze in its tracks. If it's trying to understand the word no, if it's trying to understand stop, but not a cat. And one time I was keeping a little kitten that was in the dorm, you know, not supposed to be any pets. Sometimes pets were translated to my home for me to keep them while they were getting past some kind of a dorm inspection. You know, however, $500 was on the line or whatever. Well, they brought me a little kitten and they said, don't worry about it, it's not gonna be difficult. Just put this little kitten, I'm throwing it out in your garage. I mean, they sent me a text or something, said it's in your garage, don't worry about it. And I'm enjoying my life until I remembered I had set rat traps 
all over the garage. Big old rat traps. Not the little kind that will take the paw, it's the type that will take the neck. Well, the person had, you know, of course, come into my house, put the kitten there, and then informed me I've unloaded my dorm room. I didn't have any choice in this matter, you know, how college kids are when they adopt you. Well, I had been adopted by Matt McGowan. This was his kitten. And, <laughs> and so anyway, I go flying home. I get down on my hands and knees, and sure enough, that kitten was doing that towards the bait, this little paw. And it was about to pounce on it. You know how cute they are when they're about to pounce. And I knew I was gonna hand Matt back his precious little kitten on the end of my rat trap, you know, hold my trap up and it was gonna be clamped over his head. Let me just tell you, that kitten's life depended on me telling that kitten, stop! <laughs> His whole future depended on it. Everything about that kitten, and I knew in myself, there is not a chance in the world you can tell a kitten, no. You can a dog, but not a kitten. Some of you are like that kitten. Some of you have children, or were the kind of children where you don't know stop. Some of you have children and you've never taught them to be anything but that cute little kitten. And so you're gonna estimate their life expectancy by a certain length that is not very far because the devil will see to it that there's a trap. And it all depended on that ability to say no. What do you think happened? I asked the Lord to help me when I screamed no, that that cat would hear me, listen to me, and obey me. I couldn't reach it because there was so much stuff you couldn't get to the cat, kitten. I mean, there's no way to get to him. And with everything in me, I screamed no! Not with fear, but with authority. I screamed it in a way that I have never screamed it before. That kitten looked at me, it re-evaluated its life, <laughs> and it walked to me. It walked out of the bait, the trap, all the camping stuff, and went completely under it and walked to me. I'm gonna tell you, that's the fear of the Lord. And sometimes God has been like that to you, telling you, no! That is the difference, that kids need a little bit of fear to make it. So, people who don't have a basis of the fear of the Lord aren't genuine believers. They think they are, but God has no restraint on them, as Kyle would say. God has nothing that he can use as a restraint. Do you have a restraint on you? You're missing something in your life that is not just a piece, but a core issue. That's why I tell you to make it during the times that we're living in. It begins with the fear of the Lord. So as I was saying, come my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord, you've got to have some deep convictions. Pray for the Lord to come in and make it where you have this core level of the fear of the Lord. Some of you may say, I need to get saved. I need to get this right. I don't, I don't have that peace in me. 
In fact, when you yell no, I'm thinking rebellious. I'm, I'm finding my rebellious side. I'm finding my reasons not to. I'm finding my excuses. I'm finding everything to tell you no of, well, look at your own life. Look at this. Look at this. And you go through it. And at that key moment, you've got to be trained foundationally by the fear of the Lord. I've met people, and they come, and never one time in their life have they repented of anything, stopped anything. And the battle cry that we have, it's the battle cry of Acts. And it says men everywhere must repent. This is a time where men everywhere must repent. So the fear of the Lord begins with repentance. It, it begins with the, the ability to say, God, right now I repent for this many years of living without the fear of the Lord for trying to do a walk with you where I just get the benefits off of you and don't bring anything to the table. Like, who would want to go to hell? Okay, Lord, I'll take that piece, but not these. And you're insulted to even think you might not be with the Lord, where you don't have it where you're connected with Him. If you don't feel a connection, where you never felt a connection, where you don't feel a connection day to day, you might not be connected. So the fear of the Lord begins with repentance. Write down Proverbs 16.6. Oh, I love this. The fear of the Lord makes me in turn from evil. Having trouble with sin? The fear of the Lord is your answer. The fear of the Lord makes you turn from evil. When you start having the fear of the Lord in you, it makes you turn from evil. You know, what I was doing was evil. I had to turn away from living a self-focused, self-consumed, only do what I want to do life. And at Vacation Bible School, that verse got the point across to me. When they put it up in the old days, <laughs> with poster boards and flannels and, and different ways that they use modern equipment. I'm telling you, it's the fear of the Lord that makes you turn away from a life where you don't take into account God's will daily. Repentive. You know, we've been going through something here, and it's called repent your toenails up. You can't repent too much. Repent. Even if there's a chance, just go ahead and repent for it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If you repent, God will start speaking to you about it. And so your problem with some area in your life that's not yielding, where you're in sin, where, man, it always kicks your tail, and there's always something that bothers you, it bothers everyone else about you, it may be the absence of the fear of the Lord. Let's just say it is the absence of the fear of the Lord. And that's where you have not taken into account what God says and what he thinks about it. The fear of the Lord will make a man turn from evil. Now, God calls it in Isaiah 1, it's reasonable. He calls them to be reasonable and to repent. It says that if they obeyed, God promised to wash away their sins and bless them. He would turn away from his judgment and then allow them to live peacefully in the promised land. Part of being at peace, 
Part of living in God's promises, of living in the land of abundance, is turning away. Of saying, okay, I repent. But it says, but if they rebelled and refused to repent, God proclaimed the judgment and destruction to purge away their wickedness. Well, it's a dire warning when you look at it here. Verse 31, listen to how it ends. The mighty man will become a tender, and his work will become a spark, and both will burn together with no one to quench the fire. With no one to quench the fire. Both you and your work burns. This does seem like a warning of eternal judgment. When it talks about both you and your work. So, this is the beginning of wisdom. This is what gets you where you're in the blessings, in the promised land, where you're able to live peacefully. This is why Isaiah calls you, be reasonable. This makes sense. Use your reasoning here. It's smart to repent. It's dumb not to. I can't believe the theology that went around for a while that told everybody, you don't have to repent. In a day, in an hour, when revelation is upon us, And it says that men everywhere must repent. And Revelation calls men to repent. So, I told you what Bible verse put me into action. And so I'm going to ask you, there's all types of warnings in Scripture. But which warnings have you taken seriously? Which ones have you said, this is the warning that Jesus gave, that I'm going to quit telling myself, oh, no one's doing that one. I'm going to count my odds because most people I know aren't doing it, so surely we're not all going to go to hell. Surely it's not broad as the way to destruction. Surely that isn't happening. (laughs) I'm going to to count my odds and not take it seriously. Just sheer numbers tells me I don't have to. Nobody else is doing it. Repent and put the fear of the Lord. You're missing out on the promised land. You're missing out on that core peace that causes God to be able to have the power to get you out of traps you are that kitten so when people don't preach this and they don't have it in their churches no wonder they can't get their people to behave right now has there ever been a time the church has fallen apart any more than now I don't think so I don't think there has ever been a more lousy lazy picture of why the church has met the challenges that we're living in in the last few years that we face this now. I've never seen it. Do you know why? Because the pastors have never enforced their voice to the point when they spoke the word of God to be able to tell their congregation there sometimes is a holy no coming from heaven. They don't have the ability to train the ability to get their people to do what they should do. They have not trained their people in the fear of the Lord. And it shows. Oh, they've taught them to be comfortable. And oh, we'll never hurt your feelings. And if I possibly do, I'll apologize a thousand million times because God knows I don't want you to feel uncomfortable in here. And yet they haven't balanced that out, that sensitivity out and that tenderness that is needed. Like there's times your soul needs that. That comes with repentance that God gives you the tenderness. But at the same time, you've got to be able to tell people 
and to have people know that there are crucial parts of your life that there's no shortcuts for and there's no ability to just work around them but you've got to make peace with the Lord because just like I wouldn't want you to be ashamed of me do you know Angie do you listen to the cross lines not often <laughs> sometimes I'm ashamed of myself I go I don't know about that group <laughs> there what is it inside of us there's something about this day that we're living in that you cannot be ashamed of the Lord Jesus Christ you cannot be ashamed this is our day to show up <laughs> show out <laughs> and to go forward so fear of the Lord is first woven into the practice of your life and it begins in your prayers where you begin with the fear of the Lord God hears the prayers of those who fear the Lord if you're telling me God never answers my prayers like I asked him the other day to protect that and it just it died <laughs> my life I just it, nothing's working like I, I have this area it's a perpetual failure it just, it fails. It's called sabotage. It's called this. Whatever that is that's given you problems, I would tell you, invite the fear of the Lord into your prayer life with it. Invite that in there because it could be that issue. Like today, I have some areas that are not giving to the power that says that greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. I'm not looking much different than the world on a few things. In fact, I can find some people in the natural that seem to be accomplishing more than I am in this area. Fear of the Lord. Anything that you don't have an answered prayer on, I would invite you, let's begin with the fear of the Lord. It's just a great place to start. It's a great place to repent. Look at this, Psalm 34, 11 through 15. Come you, my children, listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Sound familiar? Second sentence. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he should see good? I think that's the verse I'd like to quote during Revelation. I desire life. I'd like to live kind of long. And I would like to have good in my lifetime. It ain't looking like it. So, is there a way to do it? I mean, this verse doesn't have an expiration date on it and say this only works until the seven years of tribulation. This only works till the, the global antichrist spirits on the world. It doesn't give me expiration. And from what I understand is it's forever. It's eternal. God's word is eternal. So if I want to desire life, love many days, and see good, he gives me a list of what to do. The first thing he says is your mouth needs to be saved. That's the first thing on the list. And your lips don't need to be speaking slander, which is you're putting poison out about other people, stuff, it's not going to cut it. Depart from evil, do good, seek peace, pursue it. Notice what it says. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. This is your verse. I will teach you the fear of the Lord, and he gives you a list. And then it says God's eyes are on you. And his ears are attuned to your cry. Like he hears you when you cry. That's where it says, I will teach you the fear of the Lord 
so that God will hear you when you cry and he keeps an eye on you. And then you can have life many days and see good. You can't get any better than that. He's explaining it out to you. Can you think of a scripture where it says that Jesus had the fear of the Lord? You know, Jesus takes us into different aspects. But they all they all launch. They all come off of the platform of the fear of the Lord. In Hebrews 5, 5 through 8, it says, Christ did not glorify self to become the high priest. And it's because of the scripture that says to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And then it says that you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Who in the days of his flesh, when he offered up prayers and supplication, Jesus had vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. It says that his soul cried. Does repentance come with feeling? Yes. You need to feel your repentance. You can choose it. It's where you start. But you pray until you emotionally, spiritually Feel that shift, that change with your repentance where it's that venomous cries, tears to him who's able to save. Cry like you mean it. He was heard because of it. And he was heard, notice this in Hebrews 5, 5 through 8, because of his godly fear. And that's where we're starting. Jesus was heard because of his godly fear. That emotional crying out. Jesus had nothing to repent of. He was completely perfect. But yet he had the fear of the Lord. Because his fear of the Lord was perfect and was complete, then that's why he had no evil in his life. And that's why he's heard. It just is a clean starting point. So I would tell you that repentance clears your slate to be in Him and to be like Him where if you repent, then your prayer life is inside of Jesus, that He's making intercession and you enter into His prayers. And the fear of the Lord cleans it up. It's shocking to think that I'm justified, justified, never sinned because of what Jesus did on the cross. His crying out here to try to be saved from death is something he went through so you can be clean and in this position. That you can get this foundational block inside of you. And of course, as we said, the fact that we can repent is the good news. The very fact that it's possible to repent. And you know why it's so important? Because you see people, and the very idea if you tell them, oh, you need to repent because it's not going well in your life, it's very offensive to people. They're like horrified that you have judged, I'm putting quotation marks around it, their life, that they need to repent. The Bible tells them they need to repent. It is. You can say it with a heartfelt, not judgmental looking down your nose, but a thing of, but for the grace of God, there go I, that I've been in struggles myself. I'm not looking at your area of non-repentance and snubbing my nose at it. I'm saying I've had it happen to me. 
and I know you can have it happen to you. I've had that barrier, and you can bust the barrier up. And when I have something I'm not getting through to heaven, then you come to me. And you say, Angie, you might should repent for this. I have a faithful coach. The coach constantly gives me new areas to repent in. The Holy Spirit will convict you of areas that you need to repent. So with the fear of the Lord, you have concepts and promises attached. The fear of the Lord is the beginning. Now, I want to ask you a question. How do we fear Him and not fear Him? Have you seen that dilemma in Scripture? How do we fear Him and not fear? Like, that's all confusing. I mean, the Bible tells us, don't fear, don't fear, don't fear, and then it says fearing. So some fear of God is unrighteous, and some is righteous. I found a verse. I was fooling around last night with my verses and just looking at them to see which one spoke into me. And Exodus 20.20 is the verse that has both in the sentence. It has both fears. So this is a perfect example in Exodus 20.20. Do not be afraid, Moses said, for God has come to test you. Boy, don't you love those words. You know, I spoke on God testing and then I had to live it. I felt it the very night of the test like grandly failed it. So, do not be afraid, for God has come to test you. He's telling you don't be afraid during your test. God has come to test you. Do not be afraid. So that the fear of Him may be before you, before your face, before you, and to keep you from sinning. Isn't that amazing to see both fear in there and so I've asked myself how do I possibly live this life and I'm telling you there are so many word studies on fear and and you've got everything from fear just means respect and and then you have clear over to the other side that says no there's verses that say have a holy terror fear of the Lord but I'm gonna propose to you a complete absolute fear of the Lord is in order. But even the respect fear, if, even if that's where you've bought off on the idea it's just respect, I want to say to you that the kind of respect that it's talking about here is not the respect we know in America. <laughs> it's the Middle Eastern form of respect. <laughs> And if you put it in context of what respect looks like in these other countries, it might be more what it's meant by respect. There are some holy lines you don't cross in other countries. Like, they demand respect from you. Oh, like, I can give you a list. You can't chew chewing gum in Singapore. I mean, you can't own land in, in Dubai and and the UAE and all these different places, you can't have what we think, oh, everybody here should let every foreigner own land. Well, there you've got to have a, one of them own 40% of your business. Well, guess what? They don't have to work, and you do all the work, and they get 40% because of the fact you have to have them. They just take turns owning a piece of everybody's business. How about if Americans said suddenly every foreigner will just own a business here, they must give some American citizen 40% of their business. And guess what? The American doesn't have to work. 
I heard my businessman say amen. Respect. And if you break these laws, it's punishable by um, your days not being as long as they could have been. Respect. So the respect that it's talking about, if you're going to take that approach, is not anywhere near what you're given the verse. But it can go to a point of fear. I think we have one dear pastor we love from California, and he says, don't kid yourself, this verse means fear of the Lord. Like, fear of the Lord. And it depends on how you're approaching him. Either with repentance or your heart in your hand, or if you reproach him with arrogance and defiance and disobedience. There's a fear of the Lord. Work it out. Work out the verses. Work out how to not be afraid and to have fear of the Lord. So I'm going to give you two things that I say it's not. One, it's not like a demon trembling. Your fear of the Lord is not going to be like how a demon shakes at God, with God. Because a demon shakes because he's disobedient. If you shake like a demon, it's the disobedience in you shaking. The fear of the Lord makes you obedient. So if you tremble, it's not trembling like a demon. A demon is disobedience. You're redeemed. You have a chance to walk in a fear of the Lord that brings that sweet sweetness in your life of, of being able to be obedient in areas you were never obedient in. The second thing of not like a demon trembling is the wrong kind of fear is shrinking back. And this is the strongest thing that I'm going to tell you. Because right now you can know if you truly have a fear of the Lord or a fear of life, fear of man. Because when God gives you the fear of the Lord, it's not the shrinking back kind of fear. The right kind of fear of the Lord, I'm expecting an amen over on this one. The right kind of the fear of the Lord is to make us go forward. It is make us move and not stay still. A demonic fear of the Lord, a demonic fear, let's just say it that way, a demonic fear makes you shrink back from the promises. Insecurity, not have enough. A powerful fear of the Lord makes you move forward in the face of great fear. Fear Him alone. It's a comparison fear, an allegiance fear. Isaiah 8, 12. Do not call conspiracy everything these people regard as conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not live in dread, says the Lord of hosts. Great word there. The Lord of hosts meaning the head of an organized war campaign. <laughs> the, the, the Lord of the armies of the living God. So he says, do not fear what they fear. Do not live in dread. For the Lord of the army. Do you realize the captain of the host of the armies lives inside of you? Amen. That that's the Lord of hosts is the one you shall regard as holy. Only he should be feared. And only he should be dreaded. Only. I have to be your fear. That's the Lord speaking to you. I have to be your fear. Most children are taught to fear, but not to fear Him. People, parents, work fear into their kids. Think of what you've been taught to fear. 
And it says, do not fear what they fear. Only fear the Lord God. You know, I told you about the time that the Lord gave me this verse, and it was right before I had to sign a contract. And they were putting intimidation screws down on me. Maybe all in good fun, but they were definitely a man's game. And they were playing Russian roulette with me with lawyers and everything else, uh, putting the screws down on me. And they were telling me, sign the contract without reading it. (laughs) You're not allowed to leave the office. You know, I pulled away from the office, and I did leave in the midst of someone in my face telling me, don't leave the office, da-da-da. But I didn't pull away to read the contract. I pulled away to read the verse. And I pulled and parked beside the road, and I had told them I'll be back in an hour. And yeah, it's a thick contract, and I needed a couple people looking over it because they weren't going to put their names on it without reading it. I did end up signing it without that without reading it, but because I only had one thing that I feared, I feared only God himself. I dreaded only God himself. There was a fear of it, but I said, no, I'm not going to have that fear. I'm only have the fear of meeting God on judgment day and not doing what he asked me to do. I'm only have the fear of fear itself that I'm afraid that I might not do what God's telling me to do. So I'm not going to walk in that fear. I'm going to walk in only fearing God. So when I pulled beside the road, I said, God, only you do I fear. Don't let me make a mistake. Only you do I dread. I dread judgment should I not have the courage to go forward at this moment. And I ended up having to walk along. But God had just handed me this verse. And he told me, don't be afraid of men's games. Don't be afraid of intimidation. Only listen to me. Fear. You'll find yourself at times when you're facing some of the greatest fears that you have. And you have to go to this point of making up your mind what is worthy of your fear. There's something worthy of your fear. The next one was I was in a conference in Colorado and it was time to leave to go get on the plane. Now at this conference I'd never seen snow above my head and I had to walk through a path where it was a few feet above my head. They had cut it. Now some of it was snow drifts. But we had one hour to get there and you can imagine what the roads look like. But a girl that everybody had been praying for for a long time to come to the Lord was a putty in my hand. For some reason when I spoke, the way that I presented the message had pierced her heart in a way no one else had ever done it. Like she was taking the gospel from me. And I hadn't packed up my book table. I was my own assistant. (laughs) Mom had spoken and as the people began to come to me and tell me, you must leave now. Everybody was saying, call her and lead her to the Lord on the phone. Let her go. And I made a decision. I only fear God. The only reason I came to this conference was for this person. Now, others have been saved. Other things had happened. We had a glorious conference, and I could have named so many things. There were 200 people there. That's where I'd met my friend that had come out of uh, ritual abuse. So it was a fabulous conference. But I knew that the whole conference meant that girl right there. 
and it's hard to do when you feel the plane flying off without you. <laughs> when you know the mess that it's going to create. And I said, all I fear is God. All I dread is not doing what he's telling me to. And it was harder to get everyone else to shut up and to be quiet and to back out of the room than it was to do what I had to do when I led the girl to the Lord. That was what I was there for. And you'll find out in ministry, you're either there for the gift baskets, the compliments, or you're there to get the work done. Well, heaven was rejoicing, but everyone else was mad. (laughs) And I walked out of there, and I thought, I'm ready to go now. I think we had 15 minutes to get an hour away. It was amazing to have to sit in the airport for two hours because the plane was late. Because God had appointed that plane to serve Him and not the airlines. Would I have been mad if I had sat there for two hours and skipped the girl? I would have known that I feared something besides God. And when you put time constraints on it, it makes the fear amp. (laughs) When you put intimidation on it, it amps the fear. And this is where I'm telling you the fear of the Lord. I've come quite a ways from the kid that was ashamed and denied to have to stand up to people I love. It's not as hard to stand up to your enemies as it is to stand up to those you love, as it is to stand up to what's within yourself. (laughs) Because people thought I wasn't hearing the screaming. My insides were screaming, leave, back up the table. Comparison, allegiance. You haven't passed the test of the fear of the Lord till you can fear only what God's telling you to do. And then time has to obey you. Time has to go into uh, your servant. Money has to obey because you fear only the Lord. It's not that you fear losing all your money. And that may be why you're struggling in business. It's the fear of losing money and not the fear of the Lord. It may be why you're struggling in relationships because it's the fear of losing relationships and never having what you want and not the fear of the Lord. This is the fear of the Lord test. So, the fear of the Lord gets you moving. It's a holy fear of God when I read the verse. And that's where I started asking myself, how can I get into compliance with this verse? Don't tell yourself it's theoretical and fear of the Lord stops with your prayer life. Because that's how most people that do the fear of the Lord, they only do it in their prayer life. What other area of your life does it have to be done in and not just your prayer life? (laughs) I was going to say obedience, but I'm hearing a word from whispering from the heavens now saying every area. (laughs) All right. The fear of the Lord puts you into action. And this is the glorious failure of the church. It's theoretical. It is reasoning, the fear of the Lord in your life, but it has not caused any action in your life. The fear of the Lord activates. If you don't have action, you have not experienced the fear of the Lord. Don't fool yourself. If you are not obedient at the drop of a hat, if it's just that one-time kitten Getting you out of a trap is your ideal of the fear of the Lord, and you pass that test, so check you forever. Have the fear of the Lord. Let's not listen to that lesson again. I didn't enjoy it. It wasn't my favorite. 
But the fear of the Lord has to be easy obedience. If you've not moved into the area of easy obedience, pleasant obedience, you know what I think of when I think of that is riding our horse, that white horse that the Lord gave us. Not using a saddle, not using a bridle, just getting on the horse's back and riding the horse and the horse knowing what I wanted, that I could lean one way or put my hand, I'd slip my hand down on the horse and put pressure, and he knew which way to turn. And I rode him at breakneck speed. His mother couldn't be ridden with spurs and a bridle and and a saddle and, and bits and spurs, you couldn't ride the mom. But the white horse that God gave us could be ridden with just the pressure of a hand. Which horse are you? Have you gotten obedience down where the Lord is able to tell you what to do and just with a little bit of a hand on you, you know which way to turn, that he doesn't have to use a bit and a bridle? Heaven forbid we use spurs. That God is able to get you to walk in that. Then you're experiencing the joy of the fear of the Lord on a daily basis. Then you've pulled down from heaven, thy will be done today. The obedience where you're not having to ask yourself, am I going to do this or not? The Lord's asking me. If that question's still there, it's a lack of the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord gets you moving. And in a generation of theology who hates the word works, who just, my gosh, if you say the word works to the grace people, they tremble like a demon. (laughs) Why are we afraid? Grace produces works. He prepared works beforehand. Before I was even born, he designed what I was supposed to do. I have assignments from on high. I am not afraid of works because I know grace. Grace is what causes me to be at peace with what I'm called to do. It's impossible, and God likes the idea. He doesn't get excited about what I've got to get done until it's impossible. If I have a barrier, I have to find what the fear of the Lord is saying. So, I want to tell you something that I was horrified about. Or maybe excited about last night I have never read this as many times as I've read it I've never read it like I read it last night as I begin to check these scriptures out to tell myself does it really say what I'm reading and so I'll share with you something hot off the press as I carefully did each one of them to see if it really said what it's saying what does God think about with works do you know where I do the overcoming To him who overcomes. To him seven times. Watch this. Number one, I know your works. Revelation 2.2, first one. Number two, I know your works. Revelation 2.9. Number three, I know your works. Revelation 2.13. Number four, I know your works. Revelation 2.19. And by the way, he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end Number five, I know your works. I have not found your works perfect before the Lord. Is it not done with your heart in a like manner? It could also mean that my duty is not completely done. Clark says this, they were constantly beginning but never brought anything to a proper end. So my works must not have flashability that does not bring me to the, the final end. It must be brought to a final end. Number six, I know your works. Revelation 3.8. Now this is a doozy. I know your works. I've set before you an open door. 
that no one can shut. You have a little bit of strength and have kept my word and have not denied my name. I know your works. Number seven, I know your works. Revelation 3.15, that you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were hot or cold. So then, because you're lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. As many times as I've heard the vomit scripture, I didn't know it started with, I know your works. And God's not interested in works. When every message to the church was about works. Every single one of them. There wasn't one. He didn't miss one. I've heard people tell me a thousand things of what he requires and commands. I've never had anyone tell me seven times. He repeats himself. I know your works. And the scary part of I know your works. It's wrapped around the verse where it tells you. Well, they say you're Jews, but you're not. I know your works, and I'll keep you from the hour of testing. I know your works is in context with keeping you from the hour of testing on the earth. We think we're going to be kept from the hour of testing. It starts with, I know your works. I'll keep you from the hour of testing. And then it ends with a... The unique thing afterwards of, I'll keep you from the hour of testing. Do the works. How can we get so far away from what the Lord's telling us? The Lord is the one that has the right to look at the church and says, I'm looking, I'm watching your works. What a church is and what a church does is never hidden from his eyes. So, Complacency, lukewarmness, leaving your first love, kept from the hour of testing, every one of those begin with, I know your works. Seven times, every church, no exception. The way we've written it is the last church age, if you believe these are ages, doesn't have to have works. We are gloriously redeemed from them. We're grace. I know your grace. It says, I know your works. So, this is what I'm going to say. You're going to be able to track your fear of the Lord journey by your works. Not shrinking back. So, when I tracked my fear of the Lord journey, it produced in me, yes, prayer to get past the roadblock. There's something that I'm going to say in a minute. Something you have to do. But it began a journey for me. Track your fear of the Lord journey by your works. It started with a nursing home. It ended in the nursing home with the lady with Tourette's syndrome. That after I led her to the Lord, the next week she was using God's name in vain and couldn't quit. I moved to the, the jail, and I did um, three, three and a half decades of jail ministry every Monday night so that I could openly say the name of the Lord because I thought they're captive. They're a captive audience. People said, isn't it hard preaching in front of them? I was like, I got 30 guys that would rather hear me than anything else. And believe me, I may have made them angry, but I kept them entertained. Know your works. Next, I was mother's substitute. Anytime she needed someone to speak in her place, I swallowed that fear, put it, tortured it with the fear of the Lord, <laughs> and would speak. Then I moved to be in the high school youth group youth pastor. Then I moved to colleges. And worse is uh, TV cameras, audio, radio, TV. I know your words. 
that is my uh, fear journey, fear of the Lord journey, to get away from the fear that I would deny. What does your journey look like on your fear of the Lord? The day that your life is about to be over, and you have to ask the question, have you done what God's called you to do? I have people coming to me in their late 60s now telling me I haven't done what I was called to do. Can you help me? People coming out of retirement saying I never did what the Lord was calling me to do. I did what I wanted to do. The fear of the Lord is a track of what God's called you to do. The fear of the Lord is a command. And because it's a command, we have to handle it as a choice. A submit. An I, I, sir. Joshua 24, 14 through 15. Now the fear of the Lord. Now therefore fear the Lord, serving in sincerity and truth. It's a choice. Proverbs 1, 27-31. When terror comes like a storm and your destruction comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish is upon you, then they will call on me, but I won't answer them. That sounds like our church's prayers are now. We're calling, but he's not answering. Because they hated knowledge, it did not choose the fear of the Lord. Circle it in your Bible. They would have none of my counsel and despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they're going to eat the fruit of their own way. And they're going to be filled to the full of their own fantasies. Fancies. May God add his blessing to the reading of Holy Scripture. For the fear of the Lord will either have you filled with the obedience of doing the work of the Lord, where you enjoy it so much you forget to eat. Or you're going to be filled with the fruit of your own way. And you're going to want to vomit at the end of your life. Because your life amounted to nothingness. And all those fantasies you have that are keeping you from God and fancies. You'll have your fill filled to the full with your own fantasies and fancies. I'm seeing the body of Christ filled with fancies and fantasies. Nothing real. It should create a real, confident, not shrinking back, concrete journey of where the fear of the Lord has taken you. It should be able to be mapped out as much as Joshua's journeys were. The fear of the Lord will lead you and people will see what God has done. Amen.